Our sermon text this evening is from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. These are the words of God. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and so we ask now that you would uh, illuminate us, light our way, and give us eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, and just a reminder, at the end of this, uh, there will be a, a short time of Q&A, so if you do have questions uh, along the way, you can... Uh, check those, write them down in your phone or something, uh, and I, I will try to answer those. Uh, what makes someone mature? What kinds of qualities does a mature person possess? My guess is that uh, most of us, in response to that, would say things like age, experience, education, things like these. And although there are uh, exceptions to the rule, we expect that people who are older and more experienced and more educated to be more mature than us. In fact, uh, we almost consider those qualities almost synonymous with maturity. Of course, there are old fools, there are highly educated people who act uh, like children, uh, but on the whole, we expect that as we age and we learn and we experience life, we also will become mature. And that is uh, the normal way most people grow up. Now, uh, the book of Proverbs is a book that's all about growing up. It's about a son growing from a prince into a grown king. And if you read Proverbs, you'll notice that uh, maturity can basically be gained in two ways. Uh, you can either learn by listening to your father's wise instruction, don't touch the hot stove, or you can learn by experience, and you can touch the hot stove and get burned. Uh, so take, for example, Proverbs 6.27. Uh, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. So here you have uh, the crime of adultery. The sin of adultery is likened to, to hugging a fire and expecting not to get burned. And you could either learn that lesson by observing this proverb, remaining chaste and disciplined, or uh, you could go learn that by experience. You can go uh, commit adultery, and under Mosaic law, 
that warranted the death penalty in most cases. So you could also learn uh, the hard way, is what they would say. Uh, and if you read through Proverbs, one of the things that uh, you should start to notice is that one of the marks of maturity that Scripture gives is the ability to make distinctions, and specifically, good distinctions, correct distinctions, the same distinctions that God makes. Over and over again, Solomon gives us two things and sets them next to each, uh, sets them next to each other. Uh, we call this uh, juxtaposition. You may have had a paper in high school you had to write that said, compare and contrast these two ideas or these two figures. Well, where did that come from? It came from the Bible. It came from Solomon. So, for example, Proverbs 1.7 begins with this contrast between the wise man and the fool. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. And then the next nine chapters, we are given a contrast between two women. Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And on and on it goes. There are contrasts between the rich and the poor, the righteous and the wicked, the proud and the humble, the lazy and the diligent, the man who runs his mouth and the one who restrains his lips, the king and the servant, and so on and so forth. And then sometimes Solomon mixes these pairs up together. So you'll have a contrast between a, a rich fool and a poor wise man, or a proud king and a humble servant, and on and on the mixing and matching goes, so that we are forced to make distinctions. We are forced to decide who do we want to be like in this scenario. This is one of the ways we are taught to uh, have hierarchical loves. Have you gotten to this yet in Lordship, the uh, ordering of loves? Okay, you'll, you'll get to that. So, uh, you want to know what is, what is more important. Is it better to be smart and ugly? or attractive and dumb? This, 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 is a, this is a Solomonic kind of question, right? Is it, is it better to get 4.0s? <laughs> is, it, is it better to get good grades and have no friends or have a bunch of friends and just barely get by? Right? These, these are the questions. <laughs> these are the questions, John. <laughs> and this ability, to, so this ability to make this distinction and choose uh, correct correctly is what Proverbs is all about uh, training us to do, uh, because a king is someone who makes very important distinctions. He has to decide things like who lives and who dies, right? who goes to war and who he allies himself with, who's telling the truth and who is bearing false witness. You remember the story? Solomon has to decide who's the father, who's the mother, who gets the baby. That, that requires wisdom to do. So a mature king must take the distinctions that God has given us in his word and then apply them to the very messy and complicated situations of this world. And that is really the essence of biblical wisdom and maturity, the ability to apply God's word to God's world. Now, uh, I say all of this about Proverbs because uh, the book of James is kind of like a New Testament Proverbs. It is New Covenant wisdom literature. You will uh, find in James references to Proverbs, to Ecclesiastes, to Job, and we might call those, call those books the kind of Old Covenant uh, wisdom trilogy. And what James is doing in this letter to the 12 tribes of the dispersion is he's taking this ancient wisdom tradition which Christ fulfills, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and then he's applying that wisdom to the church's first century circumstances. Specifically, the persecution that they are enduring from outside the church and then the infights and troubling they are having within. 
And so to deal with what he calls various trials, uh, James is going to give us some distinctions, just like Proverbs does. And so tonight I want to look at three distinctions that James gives us, three contrasts, three pairs of people that we meet in these first 12 verses. And they are these. First of all, there is the man of faith and the man who doubts. Second, we'll see the lowly brother and the rich brother. And then third, we'll see the patient man and the impatient man. We'll just take these one at a time. Our first contrast between the man of faith and the man who doubts is in verses 2 through 7. In verses uh, 2 to 4 say this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wouldn't you like to be perfect? Uh, We should note here, this word uh, perfect, uh, in Greek it's this word teleos. And if you know the word telos, you can kind of think about what this word might mean. Uh, It means mature. So it gets translated elsewhere in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.6. Paul says, we speak wisdom among those who are teleos, mature. In Hebrews 5.14, solid food belongs to those who are teleos, of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And notice also again that uh, connection between maturity and this ability to make distinctions. And so James is saying we should be rejoicing when God puts trials in our life because if we trust him, that faith will produce patience and that patience is what will make us teleos, perfect, complete, mature, lacking nothing, he says. Trials are what God uses to grow all of us up. And if you look at this, this is really a a remarkable promise from God that the uncomfortable things in your life, the things that you pray, God, will you please take this out or put this in or change this or that? Those are the things that God has put into your life to mature you. The question is, are you going to grumble and complain about it or are you going to do what James says and and count it all joy and treat it as this is God's way of perfecting me, of making me more like him? It is at this point of testing, it is when the trial arise, uh, arrives into your life that we are presented with this choice, a distinction. What kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to be the man or woman of faith, or are you going to be the man or woman who doubts? Continuing in verse 5, we see this contrast. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here we have our two people. And if you look at it, they're uh, really similar in a lot of ways. Both of them lack wisdom. Both are experiencing trials in life. And both even ask God for help. But one asks in faith and the other does not. This man who doubts here is described as double-minded. He's like a wave in the ocean tossing whichever way the wind blows. In one moment he is confident, but in the next he's anxious. His stomach is in knots. He's nervous and afraid. He's unsure of whether or not God will answer him. And James says that man should not expect anything from God. Have you ever felt like that before? Indecisive. See this a lot with college students. Indecision. Well, how does God respond to us in that? 
Well, far from coddling our unbelief, God condemns it. He calls it sin. In Romans 14, 23, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Jesus in his earthly ministry says likewise, O faithless and perverse generation, how long must I bear with you? So uh, when we are indecisive, when we are fearful and afraid and doubting, God does not bless us in that. He doesn't coddle us. He calls us to repent. He treats it as sin. And yet we live in an age that treats doubt and uncertainty as if it is virtuous and humble. There are entire philosophical schools of thought and movements based on unbelief and skepticism that pit reason against faith, that claim believing in divine revelation is actually irrational. But if you look at what God says here, I think it's, the, it's actually the man who doubts who is the very irrational one. God, God says here that if we ask him for wisdom and do it in faith, he gives it to us liberally, that is, freely, without reproach. He's got an abundance of it ready to give you if you will ask in faith. Whatever you need to endure the trials he sends, you will be given if you ask in faith. And we'll see later, uh, as uh, Jacob read in his prayer, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So what's more irrational? Trusting the unchangeable God or the changeable you? Right? So the, the double-minded man makes himself the reference point. He makes his own self the anchor and then expects not to be tossed to and fro in the ocean. Whereas the man of faith makes God his anchor. And this is uh, really the uh, fundamental problem with unbelief. Unbelief denies the character of God. It, it thinks that God is happy one day and then angry at us the next. It thinks that God is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, God is not like you. <laughs> He's not like you at all. Not that way. God is good, and he is always good. But unbelief doubts that God knows better than we do what we need. And so when the double-minded man falls into various trials, he becomes conflicted. He vacillates back and forth between self-confidence and self-doubt. And in both scenarios, he has made himself the ultimate reference point. The sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden was this same sin of unbelief, of denying the good character of God. God says you can eat of everything except this one, and they think God's holding out on us. God must actually not know what is good for us. Unbelief denies the goodness of God. It focuses on the one thing that you don't have and becomes blind to all of the other blessings that are in your life. This is how unbelief makes you blind, myopic. This is how our sinful nature thinks. And so which person are you going to be like? The man of faith who thanks God for his trials, who opens his eyes and can see the blessings and goodness of God all around him and sees that those trials are good things there for our growth? Or will you be like the man who doubts, who is double-minded and blind to God's blessing, who complains, who's fearful and doubting the goodness of God. Scripture says it is the perfect man, the mature man, who is the man of faith. The second contrast that James gives us continues right along these lines, and it is between the lowly brother and the rich brother. 
uh, verses 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So uh, this is a really interesting section because here we're given instructions in how to act according to our current financial well-being, our current station in life. And uh, this is a contrast not between a Christian and an unbeliever, but actually between two Christians, two uh, brothers who just have a very different net worth. And there is nothing immoral here about this uh, rich brother. Uh, If you remember who this letter is addressed to, it is written to Christian Jews who have been scattered by persecution. And it is likely that many of them had to leave their homes. The book of Hebrews, uh, likely written to the same audience, says this, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and more enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And so uh, one of the various trials that some of these Christians endured was the loss of their wealth and property. And so James tells both the lowly brother and the rich brother how to act. Both are to consider their present circumstances in the light of eternity. Both are to compare their current financial situation with what awaits them in heaven. The poor man should glory in that he has been counted worthy to share in Christ's poverty, and that with Christ he also shall inherit all things. The rich man, what does he glory in, though? He's actually supposed to to glory in, that just means to like boast, revel in, that his wealth is passing away. That he's like this flower. It it looks nice now, but it's going to be gone and shriveled up tomorrow. Just as he came into this world with nothing, so also it is certain he can carry nothing out. Naked he came and naked he returns. And so if you are rich, wisdom and maturity looks like glorying, not in your wealth, or how hard you worked to get it, but in what God considers valuable, the unfading crown of a humble and generous spirit. And if you are poor, this is probably most of you, uh, (laughs) college students, if you are indebted with student loans or something, uh, wisdom and maturity looks like setting your heart and affections on the riches above, rejoicing that you do not have to face the many problems and deception that riches bring. Jesus says it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so wherever you are on that wealth spectrum, wealth, poverty, uh, I expect that some of you will be very wealthy years from now. Uh, You will want to remember this. Remember that maturity is going to look like a contentment in whatever uh, series of life you're in. Paul says, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. And he knew the secret. And, th- and that's when we get that famous quote, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Lastly, uh, and we'll close with this third distinction that James make, makes. This is between the patient man and the impatient man. Uh, so verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life of which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here God promises a blessing, a blessing for those who patiently endure the trials that God brings into your life. And if you endure unto the end, a crown of life will be placed upon your head, an imperishable wreath that does not fade away. But until that time, in this life, every Christian must first wear a crown of thorns. 
We must take up our cross and follow Jesus. We must die daily and deny ourselves. This is the fight of faith. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, not as one who beats the air, but that I might obtain the prize. So Paul has a winning mindset. Paul runs to win. And the patient man knows what kind of race he's in. He, this race is a marathon. He's not the guy who uh, comes out the block and burns up all his energy on the first lap and then peters out on the second. Right? The patient man knows that this is a very long race. The patient man endures joyfully whatever God gives to him, whether it's the wealth or the poverty, the suffering or the success, and everything he knows that God knows best. But the, patient, but the impatient man he grumbles and complains. He's like the seed that Jesus said, says is sown on stony ground. He hears the word immediately and receives it with joy, yet because he has no root in himself, he endures only for a little while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, he stumbles and falls away. Matthew 13, 20. So who are you going to be like? Who are you going to be when trials come into your life? Are you going to patiently endure? and become mature and complete, lacking nothing? Or are you going to get impatient and reach for that thing before the time? Are you going to endure for the whole race or only a little while? Will the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out your fruitfulness? This is the choice that God places before all of us. Choose this day who, are, who you are going to be. God would say, choose this day whom you will serve. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the wisdom that is in it. God, I ask that you would indeed uh, help us, show us the distinctions that we uh, should make uh, in, this, in this life, in the various scenarios that we are in. And we ask that you would indeed make us complete. Uh, show us who you want us to be. Convict us where we have uh, been double-minded, where we have been indecisive, where we have been unsure of your goodness. And God, forgive us for our worldliness, for the way that we chase after the vain and fleeting things, that we chase after flowers and grass that today looks nice, but tomorrow is gone. And so God, make us wise, make us perfect, make us like Jesus. We ask this in his name, and amen.